So for me, I am the CEO of uh, Gempool. Uh, Gempool is a tech specialist recruitment agency operating in the Irish market. So I guess what we're probably best known for is filling um, mid to senior to lead level uh, engineering roles, be it software and hardware, but also product and design as well. We are an agency of um, 13 people and uh, have been operating in this market for a long time now, um, over 17 years actually all in, um, and do contract and perm recruitment. Um, and uh, yeah, that's Gempool. Thanks, Mike. Um, so we are Hadfield Green. Um, I founded the company, when was it, 2019? Um, so we set the business up to I suppose the need that we noticed was um, a dedicated technology leadership search firm for a lot of technology scale-up businesses. So we would um, position ourselves as a firm that supports leadership hiring, be it a CTO, VP product, basically that head of, director of, chief of of, um, scale-up businesses. So that's what we kicked off um, originally. Like many organizations over time, you kind of find your find, find, find your way and find your purpose. So we still do that, which is about 60% of our business. We also do some high-level interim kind of contract roles then as well, which is very much technology-focused. And then um, we also do some kind of commercial roles across that leadership layer then as well. And if it's a really strong relationship, we would do um, do some kind of individual contributor roles um, then as well. Similar to Mike, um, you, sir, it's um, the Irish market predominantly. Some business in the UK, but Ireland is um, probably where we do the bulk of our business right now. So that's Hadfield Green. Nice. And, you know, in terms of what we've seen, uh, Neil, uh, that are kind of key changes across the recruitment market in the last kind of year, 18 months, you know, to speak to that a little bit um, f- from from our perspective, and yours is similar because we both work in technology, but be interesting to get your take on on the difference at a more senior level. But obviously, from a tech perspective in Ireland, a lot of the hiring is slowed, um, especially for big tech, a lot of the big brands that are in Ireland, you know, obviously your Googles and Facebooks and um, and Amazons and um, Intercoms and, and Microsofts of the world. Um, so there's been a slowdown in demand for recruitment services, simple as that. And that kind of started probably around Q4 of last year, but really was felt in Q1 and Q2 of 2023. Um, however, uh, the so that's been the biggest shift, but there are still technology recruitment happening, but it tends to be outside of the technology kind of domain or industry. Yeah. Um, so how does that impact change across, you know, a recruitment agency? For us, it's meant that we really had to sharpen our BD tools and get out in the market and uh, get talking to uh, companies that are hiring because a lot of our clients or companies we'd normally be talking to um, paused or became cautious or potentially going the other way and get, letting people um, uh, doing layoffs. What have you seen? Very similar, Mike. I, I think I think it's important to note maybe the the the, the difference in the market conditions when we came out of COVID I think there was just this it wasn't a normal operating environment so I think a lot of the growth um, and a lot of the headcount growth particularly for some of the big internet businesses the big tech businesses it probably wasn't sustainable anyway I think Mm. you know it probably was um, 
and a lot of business businesses um, admit this that they probably hired more aggressively than they would would have typically but there was just this kind of bit of a frenzy you know it was kind of a real bizarre um a very interesting um time actually that we'll probably look back on and reflect but uh i think 2023 i've noticed it's just probably back to being i suppose sustainable in relation to hiring and relation to headcount and i think from a macro perspective a lot more organizations were focused more on the fundamentals of the business again, you know, like headline, you know, um, revenues, but even profitability and the actual fundamentals of the business. So that just had a kind of a complete sort of normalized trickle down effect on hiring. So we see a lot of layoffs in talent acquisition teams. We've seen, um, you know, a real, a lot of pressure on pricing. Actually, we felt a lot of pricing um, pressure in relation to fees. Um, what I would say is though, I still, from what I see and from the leadership community and people in the ecosystem, particularly in Ireland, there's still a lot of positivity and optimism around net employment growth within tech. And what we're seeing a lot more of is like businesses outside of tech, you know, still being tech businesses, if that makes sense, um, in relation to hiring. Like, so what do I mean by that? Financial services, insurance businesses, utilities, a lot of the government funded contracts, aviation, FMCG, there all seems to be good kind of net technology growth in those firms. So us as an organization, we just had to double down, similar to you, Mike, double down on our business development efforts with perhaps some of the firms that we weren't going after before. As I said in my intro, we would have done a lot with venture-backed, private equity-backed businesses, very tech-focused businesses. It was probably too narrow when we look at what actually happened then um, early this year. So we just had to fundamentally have a different type of strategy when it comes to sales. Um, but yeah, still loads of opportunity out there, but I think um, that's what we've noticed a lot. And I think the second part really that we've certainly noticed over the 12, 18 months is the pressure on um, back into the office. I mean, this is impacting, hopefully we'll have a discussion about this as well and like how we manage and manage performing, uh, manage our own teams, but you know, I see even one firm that was fully remote and we would have done a lot of hires from people in Galway, Cork, Donegal. Their expectation is now that they have to come into the office three days a week and it's like a blanket global policy. We've seen this kind of trickle down in lots of other businesses, which is which is which is definitely having an impact on um availability of talent, which in a weird way I think is actually good for us because then there's this kind of push again to do great search and do great kind of recruitment again. And it is a, seems to be a, a bit of a need. Um, do you agree with anything I said? <laughs> you can challenge me on any of that as well, Mike. You know, it's good to, uh, hopefully we're not just going to agree with each other for the, for the next little while, but similar to yourself or have you noticed anything different? Well, to the point around the um, back to office kind of pressures, 100% seeing that, right? So do agree that that is a definite trend. I think that leadership are feeling a little bit more confident about pulling those triggers now when candidate um, kind of uh, the, the candidate appetite for risk is, is lower than what it was. If you go back uh, a year, year and a half, people were moving jobs um, very easily. They were very open, particularly in tech, People were open to changing jobs, finding a new employer, finding a company maybe that offered them the flexibility, the remote working, better salary, or what a lot of people are focused on, particularly younger folks, a little bit more about that value alignment. Um, so there's a lot more kind of risk-taking. Now that's kind of 
gone down, right? So people are worried about being the, the, the last in, first out. So leadership are kind of going, okay, maybe, you know, there's, I don't know if this is deliberate, but maybe now is the good time to try to get more people in because they're less likely to leave and go up the road. I, I think we have to look at it as uh, what's the underlying motivation that is driving leadership to bring people back into the office. Mm-hmm. And there's enough of it happening now that there's something tangible behind it. And my belief is that what what people are realizing is that when you, you think about work, you have relationships, you have tasks, and you have money. And if you take out, when you, people are working remotely, you take out relationships, you just have task and money. And if the task is repetitive or uninteresting uh, and the money isn't strong enough, people will move. So there's less stickiness. I and mean, it's, that, it's that, back to that kind of funny example of you know someone working at home and they've got their mug with the logo on it and they change job and all they do is just change the mug to a different mug with the new logo and that's them changed and nothing else changes. So um, I think people- well, that are emotional really- buy-in, is that what you said? So like that, 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 you know, that really kind of- um, well, it's emotional buying with the leadership team and the other people, those peers, that camaraderie. But it's just, you know, even even the the look and the feel and the other things that go on when you're in a company and in an organization in an in an office, mm-hmm. it's 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 it can it's easier to be more transactional then as as an as a, as a, and, and more fluid with how you go through the market. And you think a lot of leaders, hiring managers, organizations are they, they, they've got a little bit more data then to analyze that, and you think that's having. Um, the consequences of that then that, that that's driving them um, not just that they want to get value of their office space or that they kind of it's definitely about retention then do you think that's the biggest kind of cause of people going back into the office I, I yeah I do I think it's that I think it's culture I think people are worried that they're gonna the culture is gonna um, get diluted and you know people aren't going to experience those norms that they want which which is the kind of less tangible but really valuable part of being in a business um is 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 that culture and people living those values whereas when people are remote it's harder to harness those things and and there's the obvious more tangible kind of advantages of being in person is that you have that collaboration and learning you have those deeper closer bonds and relationships between staff members and you know i think there's always a big advantage and you and i know from working recruitment agencies that if you have a a meeting with a candidate or a client in person, you learn so much more than you would doing a video or a phone call. Um, and all the good stuff happens sometimes before or after the meeting, which you would never have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So the, the the trend is very real. Um, how it impacts the industry, I, I do think it will mean that it'll be harder for companies to attract the talent, which should drive up demand for recruitment services. Um, they're reducing the geographical spread that they were um, kind of dipping into a, a little oh, while ago, reach, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which does reduce the kind of potential for getting really high quality talent anywhere. Um, so it's it's a balance. And I think people are just kind of feeling their way through it. I don't think anyone's cracked it yet. No one, no one we can't hold anything up and go definitively, that's the best approach or model that's going to work. I mean, for us internally, Speaking about just Gempool, when we hire rookies, newbies, call them people who haven't worked in the recruitment industry, we we will have them in, on site with the line managers for the first six months for for three days a week, and then they'll be offered more flexibility. And the, 
the reason for that is that simply if you're a, a junior salesperson, which essentially a rookie recruiter is, you know, when you get off a difficult call, you have no one to turn to and go, oh, that was hard. And here's what happened. And someone to kind of coach you and mentor you on the spot to go, well, next time think about, you know, how you might handle that conversation this way or that way. Um, and you don't have that remotely, you know. Um, and it, it is about that emotional connection to the people in the company as well. I've um, I've been thinking a lot about um, effective management in a in a recruitment business, you know, um, and culture and training, learning, development, um, intervention, right? Um, and I have quite a strong view, right, that. I actually hate remote working now for recruitment businesses. I know it's a really strong kind of statement, but when I really analyze some of the challenges we've had, and when I look at, um, you know, how we've designed the roles and how we're looking to, to evolve all of our, whether you kind of lots of experience or junior, when I look at everyone that's trying to evolve their, 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 their learning and particularly kind of getting into search and, and, and leadership search and the, the differences between some of the search kind of expectations and what clients expect when they're paying kind of re- premium kind of re- retained fees. Like when I compare the activity, motivation, energy, skill set, learning, when we're all together in an office, and exactly what you said there, like, it just, it's, it's, it's chalk and geez, you know, like, and I think we, I felt, I feel like I've kind of fallen into the trap of kind of convincing myself that you can be a really effective sales, you know, led organization, and that you can really train and coach people effectively, particularly around business development, which is one of the topics. It's like we're going to chat to you, like, do recruiters actually enjoy new business development? Like, in an office environment, like, you know, to, to get people to do new business development remotely, you know, whether they've got 10, 15 years experience and they're mastered at it, or whether they're a rookie, I've, I've not cracked that one. Right? I've definitely not cracked that one. And I think fundamentally, you know, without an office environment that's consistent where everyone kind of knows that the majority of time is in the office environment. Without that, I think it's, I think it holds the business back. I genuinely believe that. And um, it's, 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 I'm really curious to, to, to speak to more recruitment business owners who, who, who seem to have, have worked this out, you know, like with, with the people that are more experienced, you, you know, you said there, Mike, that when people come in, you know, it's fully six months, but it's still only three days a week, right. That they have to be um, on site with their manager. Like, you know, yeah. when people are more experienced, right? How much time do they have? Um, can they can they pick the days they come in then, or or, or what's the what's your strategy? What's your what's the policy within your within Gempo? We have a one day a week on site, four days at home, right? So we're Is that very fixed, fixed on a Thursday. It's okay. a thir- Thursday's our anchor day, and um, everyone's in, right? So that day is a bit of a giddy day a lot of a lot of chatting people kind of hanging out and that's good right yeah. that's all about that relationship piece um uh but there's definitely a balance right because you know and uh, we do workshops every thursday morning together in the office we use the thursdays we've kind of designed the thursday to be a day where we're trying to do a lot of collaboration so you know the end of month one-to-ones are hopefully happening on site in person our workshops are done every week on a thursday morning they rotate around different people host or or deliver those workshops and recently one of the one of our guys mark did a session on 
the challenges of remote working in the workshop and okay. people were kind of highlighting what what they're finding there was words like people we were putting out there what are the kind of challenges that people are facing and there was stuff like loneliness um and there was you know people were using terms like um uh the kind of repetitive nature and you know the the maybe kind of it, it can get a little bit boring because the reality is you could spend the whole day on LinkedIn, sending out messages, getting voice, you know, doing those types of things, th those types of activities. Mm -hmm. And that can be really um, difficult to keep going, keep motivated, keep engaged, especially if the response rates um, aren't great and you have a day or a, a week where you don't get a lot of progress in terms of maybe interviews happening or offers going out. Mm -hmm. So um, I think if you're in the office, it's uh, on the Thursday, it's harder to concentrate then because you know, everyone's chatting away in the office. And if we were in more, people would, you know, knuckle down a bit more in the office because you wouldn't be having as much kind of a, do, do, of do some people, Mike, do, do some people only come in on the Thursday then? And then the rest of the time would be remote. Yeah, most people only come in on the Thursday. And then, the, oh. but the office is open five days a week. It's available for anyone to come mm -hmm. in. And, and some people do use it more often. And then like that, rookies will be coming in with their leads more often when, they, when they're mm -hmm. wrapping up. Mm. Um, so, you know, there are days where people might have meetings, so they'll use the office for a bit, go off to their meetings. But mm. one of the, the, the biggest challenges I've found with remote working is that people, when they're at home, especially if they're a little bit away from Dublin city center, they'll, they're less likely to do face-to-face -face meetings. And yeah. that, that is where, you know, the, the real value of our, of our network and our, our capabilities comes through for me as a recruitment agent, recruitment consultant, is your ability to build relationships with people in person, because uh, all the rest is going to be automated eventually the way we're going. Mm -hmm. So that's where you've got to be focusing your time and energy and, and, um, and that's where you, you, you have the most impact. And we're not doing enough of that. And, and that's uh, probably yeah, something that a lot of people are feeling. See, again, the re I suppose the other reason I feel super strongly about, you know, the office environment and, you know, getting back to it, I just kind of think on my own journey when I started in recruitment in 2006. And when I look back at how I really learned, it was observation, you know, mm -hmm. it was listening to, like, I still think the phone, James said it earlier in his post, is still a great weapon you know, um, to, 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 to get your activity up, get volume up and have kind of good conversations, influential conversations, sell, be on the candidate side, client side, drive, drive referrals, you know, but hearing other people on the phone, like I just remember hearing um, just, just, just the art of like, just great rapport building um and you're a rookie and you're absorbing this and it's you feed off it right you know so kind of when you're having a bit of a slump in a day or something like that and you hear someone doing an amazing call you sit up in your seat and you just dial you know and you just get on with it i just kind of think learning and development you know we could have all of the workshops we can have all of the um site you know days off and and good camaraderie and good stuff like that but to truly kind of learn and accelerate growth it's the senior recruiters, the leaders, you know, showing this is how you make great calls. This is how you manage objections. This is how you negotiate terms. This is how you manage really sticky situations when someone's just being, you know, really awkward, difficult, or you're giving bad news or, you know, the real kind of, 
you know, there's so many skills that we have to master in, in the world of recruitment. And I think, um, I don't know, I just, I just, I just, I just, I just feel it's, um, I, I feel this movement hasn't been great um, mm. for, 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 for learning and development, coaching and getting great results. You know, I feel like it just hasn't, you know, um, work for, for, for those reasons, you know, let, business development, though, I'm, let me ask you if that's okay. Um, like, what do you do to like try and get everyone bought into to business development? And like, have you cracked it yet to try and get people to enjoy it? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> in my whole career, I don't think I've, I've ever got, could say that most for the majority anyway there's always exceptions but the majority i've in my career anyway um don't actually like doing new business development new yeah. business development yeah and I, I there's a few things we've done this year in particular since we've had to really get back into getting new logos on but i i think when we look at business development as a process right and that's from that lead gen piece down to jobs on and then it becomes the delivery process i guess you know, there's parts of that process that are really so enjoyable, but we're not doing enough of them. Face-to-face -face BD meetings, talking to companies about their strategic objectives, their challenges, and then trying to work with them to, to find a solution that's really going to help them deliver on those things. That is possibly the best part of the job, you know, and meeting candidates obviously is amazing as well. And, and you know, there's a theme there, it's that face-to-face -face piece, but the lead generation and outreach and that part of the business development process is you know can be laborious it can be um monotonous repetitive difficult you know and i i you're right you don't meet a lot of people who like that or enjoy it uh, or particularly good at it some of the things we've had to do right so we started and we probably were a little naive because a lot of the people a lot of the consultants in Gempool were brought in. Everyone's hired as a 360, right? So they're supposed to be involved in that full process from business development all the way through the delivery. Um, but ultimately, coming in came into a, 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 a buoyant market where there was plenty of jobs. So in essence, they're really 180s on the mm -hmm. delivery side. But then the roles dried up, and we needed to go out and do BD. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, guys, we really need to focus on um, getting those calls. And then it was like, how do we do that? Like, where do we even start? And it was back to basics. Okay, here's 25 tactics for lead generation. Everything from, you know, the obvious stuff to the more obscure ideas. Um, and then it was, you know, there was a lot of fear around, well, how am I going to, like, what am I, how do I put together an email? How do I, you know, so we kind of stumbled around for a couple of months, not really being very effective. And then we decided, look, we need to kind of um, do something drastically different. So we just st starting January 1st, when we came back after Christmas this year, Thursday, we have a BD session on site, everyone together. Um, it's broken down into um, our practices. So each team basically, but at the beginning of the two hour session, we do a stand up on the wall, by the wall. I'll ask each person what their focus is gonna be for that session, bang, 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 bang. Then we go off and we do it for the for the two hours and we come back and we have another five minute or at the end. What were the what were the key wins? And then we um, I'll award the BD play of the day for whoever got the best outcome. Mm. Um, and all of that would be logged then on our system so we can kind of see that activity growing. And our BD activity just went like right up. Now, mm. the, the effectiveness of the BD activity is something slightly different, Neil, right? So how is that translating into actual outcomes? Because there's a lot more input but what are the outputs? So there's still a lot of activity that isn't necessarily getting us, but we did see an uptick 
in um you know engagement then for bd meetings and that's when the more experienced folks on the team would kind of help step in to uh, on those calls video calls or meetings to to try to win the business and get it on um and that's we we had a strategy day in april at the end of the quarter to look at um the next kind of 12 months but also retrospectively looked at in particular on bd and everybody agreed and it was unanimous that the bd sessions were great fun people enjoyed them they wanted to keep them you know the format helped because you had a team with your lead maybe a senior recruiter a couple of rookies in a room together for the two hours away from their desks you know and they're all working the same way and they're all hearing each other and buzzing off each other and maybe a rookie who's afraid to try to pick up a phone to a cto and ask for business is focusing more on maybe the lead generation piece and then working with the lead to try to engage that 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 prospect so mm-hmm. that format of collaboration and working together really let let everyone try to enjoy it a bit more and it was a bit it was a bit slightly more gamified with how we were trying to set targets around activity levels and you know everyone sharing their wins with each other so that's worked really really well uh, in terms of taking away the kind of sense of fear and kind of you know dislike of it you know yeah. mm-hmm. um so that's kind of been, and we've introduced another BD session on a Tuesday now uh, to ramp it up even more. Now that's a remote session. We still do the, the video call at the beginning to talk through what we're each going to do, and then the video call at the end. But everyone's at home, so we we'll see how that plays out in terms of that momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, do people get the momentum that they they're looking for? Uh, and in between, we're always trying to come up with fresh ideas around. Okay. Here's some new engagement tactics, some templates. Uh, we use insights as much as we can. We use LinkedIn Talent Insights, especially to lead with um, insights to try to get the audience c- coming back to us, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it does. It does. Um, and would you would you have a different incentive in relation to rewards? Like, would, would whether it's commission or bonus, like, like is there, you know, if someone kind of develops an account and wins a new job an existing account and that's that's business development right that's you know that's 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 making sure you understand your clients and like i've I've seen great 300 degree recruiters that wouldn't be you know have this blocker when it comes to new business but they can be incredibly impactful with um wrapping up accounts really kind of getting in there and have really good consultative conversations understanding their full spend on recruitment fees and just being like a a terrier, you know what I mean? And in relation to kind of getting all of the other, hoovering up the other opportunities and then developing that relationship and getting really sticky with those customers and having really good consultative uh, meetings, but, you know, still wouldn't be that strong at the brand new business. Um, so I've never really kind of had a difference kind of um, commission structure. We, we, we have had, you know, where I've seen it work in different businesses in in, in, in last one where, you know, if you won the account and it led to other roles for the business, um, but you managed the account, you'd get a 30% of that account and then 70% would go to the delivery of that. Um, again, with mixed mixed opinions on that, like um, um, over the years, do you do anything different in relation to financial rewards for new business or, or is it more just kind of back to culture and, you know, when you have the right culture and it's, it's your job and it's expected and you do all of these things that you don't need to make any changes to incentivize them from a, from a reward perspective. 
Yeah, it's really interesting topic, right? Because what we're talking about here is creating reward systems that are going to drive behaviors. And that's when I think about reward, financial reward or incentive wise, it's all about trying to drive the right behaviors for the business. And if your, if your reward systems drive delivery behaviors, which is actually what Gempool is how we're kind of set up, you're given commission for placements. So if the roles come in and there's enough roles, BD gets pushed aside because there isn't any reward system per se. Well, no people, incentive. People get the connection, but if there's jobs there to be filled, there's where the commission is, right? So we have over the years had this, and I'm sure lots of people have felt it where you have this kind of, oh, there's less roles. So BD activity goes up and then roles come Please in come and BD on. activity goes down and you go up <laughs> yeah, and down and up yeah. and down. And yeah. trying to create that consistency is really, really tricky. And we have, we've we've tried different things over the years um to try to impact those behaviors at the moment and you know, we, again we discussed this because it was something that someone brought up at the strategy day was you know one of the things that they felt they'd like to see was more incentive around business development so we had an open debate about it and you know people were, some people felt like and, and it's true you're paid you're paid your know, salary to go do 360 recruitment so it is part of your that's what you're paid for right and that is the reality mm. but the fact of the matter is you you that's all good on paper but what are the behaviors that you're seeing because mm. that's what your reward system is creating and your culture so you know you've got to think about how you can influence that um at the moment we don't have a dedicated kind of commission structure specifically for new logos there's a couple of things that we are doing. So for example, you know, today is uh, we're in June and in June we have a BD um, competition. So basically there's points allocated for face-to-face -face meetings, five points, video call, three points, one point for a connected BD phone call. All the rest is zero points. And whoever gets the most points gets the 30th of June off. Um, it's the day after we're having a charity table quiz. So, you know, nice. someone having that day off in June. So that's an example of just a one-monther trying to get that focus on uh, on BD activity and driving behaviors towards meetings, which is where we need to be. Would we go beyond that to something more significant, potentially? Um, and, you know, we might do that yet. I'm not sure. But right now, we, right now we don't. Um, I also looked at hiring a dedicated BD person, you know, big salary, big OT opportunity, interviewed a few people, no one from the recruitment industry, didn't make the hire, um, was worried I was kind of trying to find a silver bullet mm. and would also worry that someone coming in either comes in with a black book and they've loads of people they can call, but after six months, they've rang everybody or they're coming in and everyone else kind of takes the foot off going, oh, well, sure, this person will sort it. So I don't need to do it anymore. So what I've been thinking a lot about, Neil, is try to, trying to create a BD engine that's you know everyone in the company is a part of. Mm. And no matter how busy one team or person is on delivery, the engine's always on. And the BD sessions allow us, because that time is sacred BD time. No one's allowed to do anything else. Mm. So that, that focus is at least for four hours a week, people are doing dedicated BD activity, everybody together. So um, trying to create the engine, and you know, it's one thing where we're not strong on is having really clear channel strategies, which is something James has spoken to us about um, and has uh, a lot of strong thoughts and they make a lot of sense about really trying to define 
your approaches and what channels you're using based on the segments you're targeting. Um, and that needs to be clearer and more thought out because sometimes it feels like we're just sure we got some leads, we'll go chase them as opposed mm -hmm. to having a more deliberate thinking behind it and trying mm -hmm. to wrap all that together. Um, so in a nutshell, no, we don't have that, but like, I, you know, what are you guys doing to, to, to try to, you know, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, what are you doing that's maybe a little bit different? I just don't know how different it is, but I suppose, um, you know, since we invested in, um, uh, I suppose, Bullhorn Analytics or Cube19 back in the day, um, you know, I think you can be very specific on what KPIs are important. And I think the, the, the real reason we have Feast of Famine um, peaks and troughs is that we just probably neglect that, you know, the pipeline, I suppose, that we kind of think, oh, God, you know, we're flush with jobs, we're in delivery mode, every client's priority, we're like, we just need to get CVs out, get interviews, you know, we've got to say it like, so we we can we can all be guilty, um, I think, of, of, of fueling that, right? But I think it's, you know, one thing I've learned by mistakes <laughs> is it, it, it's just having discipline around that pipeline management and having you know, clearly define KPIs around leads, new contacts, Canvas CVs, um, sales calls, sending out brochures, obviously getting meetings and booking meetings um, and just kind of making them non-negotiable. You know, those activities meaning non-negotiable. And yes, we want consultant-led KPIs and we want, it has to be a consult consultative kind of start with the end in mind and reverse engineer it. But I think it's up to us to kind of call consultants out if they're setting KPIs that neglect that pipeline. And that was key, you know, neglecting that pipeline. I think ultimately, ultimately it's, it's seeing how tech kind of increases the width of that funnel, you know, is what, 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 what we've been really curious about and invested in source breaker. Like ultimately we want to use technology to increase that funnel um, with prospects, with leads, but tech for us is just to enable our consultants and our leaders to, 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 to level up and have more, you know, more engaging moments of truth with potential clients and potential candidates. I think the more times you're engaging with a candidate or a client, you know, be it face-to-face, -face, over the phone, virtually, the more opportunities that are presented. Dead simple, you know, more referrals, more cross-selling, more, you know, all of the things like, because, and, and, and I think having a culture where everyone is aware that they are in charge of business development, whether they're in delivery mode or, you know, whether you have a structure of job design within 180, where it's, I think it's kind of having a culture of awareness that every engagement you have with everyone is an opportunity. And I think it's up to us as leaders to, to, to just kind of make that and recognize that and give lots of encouragement around that when we see those types of behaviors. So again, I don't think there's anything radical there. There's been obviously a good few investments in technology to help us kind of be consistent around those dashboards and around the, 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 the mechanics around it. Um, and then calling out, you know, having those interventions and calling out when we see people neglecting that pipeline. And if that's done, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, it has to be 
in the monthly reviews and it has to be documented and there has to be consequences. I think that's the main thing, you know, that there's mm -hmm. positive consequences for success and someone, people genuinely doing it because there's trickle on impact for everybody, but then there has to be negative consequences. If people are genuinely not, 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 not doing, doing their, their, their part of the, the puzzle, you know, but it's, um, it's freaking tricky. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. The account, the accountability piece is one of the hardest because yeah. it's, it's one of the easiest things for people to kind of neglect and not do, they can still be busy, but then not do the BD piece. And, you know, then you, you, you get that feast or famine. Uh, so how do you create that accountability? And, and for us, um, one of the big things, and this is part of what we saw towards the end of 2022, we're like, okay, let's go do, go more, do more BD. Everyone agreed. Yes, we got to do it. And then we had this BD meeting on a Wednesday morning and it was like, so, you know, have you got on the last week? It was like, oh, I connected with a few people, did this, did that. And it's like, okay, but we probably did. We, and that's, this is my mistake. We didn't call out enough around, okay, that's, that's not hitting the bar. That's not what the expectations are. We're not doing well enough there. So we didn't create the accountability. Now the BD sessions help because everyone's doing it together. They've got to say what they're going to do and they're going to say if they did it, I mean, in front yeah. of everybody. Um, so it helps build the accountability. Um, all, another thing on top of that is trying to find wins, little wins. And, you know, when you think about change management, one of the key things you learn and the academics behind it is, uh, you know, trying to find wins along the way that show progress towards that yeah. change. Um, so when somebody does something or gets something, uh, a meeting or has a call to really, you know, blow that up and really make sure that that's something that we really celebrate because, um, you know, seeing a rookie get a meeting with a company and you're kind of going, it worked, you know, and kind of yeah, seeing, seeing those yeah. wins yeah. Uh, as and well as the, down the boundary that barriers, doesn't it? It's a great point. Like if you, you know, it, that's why I think I love this industry, you know, like you can, you know, someone can come in bright eyed, bushy tailed and apply themselves and then just pick up the phone. And then, you know, with good coaching and with a script, they, they, you know, <laughs> they can yeah. make it happen, you know? And I think, I think it's a great example where, you know, if, 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 if we create the barriers that only senior people can get great meetings with senior, but you know, like it's kind of nonsense really, isn't it? And I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a great point. Like if you're able to give recognition and bite size, what a result actually is, you know, um, and give kind of, give that recognition throughout that process, mm. then, um, then it's tangible and it, and it hopefully breeds confidence. And ultimately that's what we're trying to do with business development. I think once you have a few wins, there's nothing, it's a wonderful feeling, you know, cracking a great company, getting in with, particularly maybe if other people have tried <laughs> Yes, <laughs> in my own billing days, you know, if someone tried it and it was like a bit of a, you know, a big whale there, or it was, you know, it was on our target five or whatever. And then if you're able to do it, it's a, uh, it can be incredibly motivating, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I hear I, you. <laughs> one thing we, one thing we did, uh, and we only implemented this in the last maybe three months. And it was an idea that I got from, uh, churchy from Simon church. Mm. And it was, uh, trying to find rituals or ways of recognizing, um, BD successes that isn't necessarily throwing money at someone. And, um, the idea was to create a logo wall. So now we have, a wall in our office split down the middle and on the left there's a big sign that says term signed and the right it's invoiced and when someone oh, gets that? when mm. someone gets term signed their picture goes up with the logo of the company that they've got term signed on the left and at the end of a bd session they'll put it up there in front of everybody and they say well done 
And then when their invoice goes out to that company, we move it across and they become a paying mm-hmm. customer from term signed. And that's, you know, trying to create that connection between not just getting terms signed with anybody, but actually getting terms signed with a company that we can realistically invoice with as well. That's a great point. Uh, and you know what? We have a bit of a segue here, right? Into going into, because um, I wanted to ask you something because like, like the, the retained versus contingent, you know, and it kind of brings up a really interesting point like about awareness of what we're really here to do. You know, mm. it's, 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 it's from a business development sales strategy perspective, if we, focus sometimes too much on getting terms signed, you know, um, no matter what, re- you know what I mean? Like that we're willing to, 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 to just sign terms, perhaps not on our terms, do you know what I mean? Like, um, because we're incentivized and we're overly recognizing the signature on the terms and conditions, um, you know, when really, if, if, if it's, you know, there's two parts, really jobs on an interview shows it's a serious potential client that they're genuinely, you know, ready to action and they're cracking on and there's interviews and they're, they're, there's a bit of commitment there, but retained models where there's, you know, a real consultative discovery session on with the client that there's really that engagement there's that strategic kind of conversation with the right decision maker in the organization, that full commitment, that commencement fee, that accountability piece on both parties, like, bringing in quality business that's retained, you know, is, is a far different um, ball game um, for all of us. But you can be a successful business partner, I believe, as a contingent supplier and as a retained partner. But like, what's been your experience in relation to getting your team skilled, right, at winning retained searches? And do you think it's even fully necessary in your business or not? Uh, I, I do think it's necessary. I think um, the first the first thing we had to do was make sure that everyone understood uh, the difference uh, between the two and not in terms of you know the technicality of the difference, but actually why a retained um, uh, engagement is superior than a contingent um, for the recruiter. Okay, and then getting the recruiter to uh, grow the vocabulary and understanding of why it's a win-win for the client and being able to articulate that to them. So first, you want to get the individual really kind of understanding that if I can win a retained role, it's far better for me on my desk. And I think it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, how many times have a consultant worked a role busted their gut for a week to be told it's been filled or, you know, it was at interview stage, it's gone or it's gone on hold or whatever. It's so much much time wasted. But, Mm. you know, and I actually feel extremely strongly about this right now. So, you know, for me, I believe that the contingent model is a a lose-lose. I think that the mindset around uh, recruitment services in Ireland is broken or wrong. Um, and unfortunately, there's an education required with um, with the market in understanding why they will get a better hire if they go down a, continu- or a, ret- a retained approach with a recruitment agency. Um, and so I, I, I feel pretty strongly that it's I, I would far prefer to be working all retained than contingent. But the reality is that there's so, such a reservation and an entrenched 
um, kind of norm around contingent in our mm -hmm. industry that it's very hard to get people to actually agree to those terms. Um, a lot of times we've had conversations and the person's like, that actually makes a lot of sense, but they can't get sign off. Like our, our retained model is our service is called a talent partner solution, our talent partner solution. And it's not a, um, a particularly arduous retainer. It's 10% of the, of the projected fee upfront mm -hmm. and 90% on start date. So mm -hmm. if the fee yeah. is a 20 K fee, it's, it's two K upfront and the rest on start date. And, a 20k fee is actually pretty big for us, right? So mm -hmm. it would normally be a much smaller kind of upfront commitment, but it really does uh, make people kind of stop and then pull back often. And you're you're trying to get across the the value proposition of why for them it's it's a good deal, mm -hmm. and we'd be willing to go a lower percentage to go retained, no problem. But there's this perception it's no placement, no fee, and uh, that education is something we're trying to do through our marketing activity. So trying to put out content out there to kind of push the value proposition um, gen generally, uh, but also trying to get, to have the, like I said, have the vocabulary to, to fluently articulate the value proposition when we're in a BD uh, meeting situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now your business is pretty much all retained from my understanding. I'd love to learn how you do that and what i guess how you manage to um keep those relationships uh, over time and you know uh what you've learned because you would have worked in a more traditional tech agency with a lot of contract firm uh, con uh, contingent and retained in the past as well the, the biggest learning i've had since kicking this on um off and and, and having people come into the business is um it's actually very, very difficult to hold your nerve. And that's what it comes down to, right? I think um, clients can get it and they can understand it. Um, I actually think the bigger objection is probably not for the actual money that they have to give. Right? And you can give insurances and you can give rebate periods and that's helped us, right? Get things over the line. For example, you know, to give us a commencement fee up front, we say as an insurance policy for them, if they're not happy with the quality of the shortlist after the second round of interview, we will give them a full refund on stage one and stage two payments. So that has helped with some objections because that's us sharing the risk and bringing it back to the quality and backing of us as a, as a, as a solution provider. Um, look, I think, as I said there, look, I think the biggest objection is actually the exclusivity piece rather than the, you know, the, the, the giving, giving a bit of money up front and getting sign off for that. I, I still think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a fear. Look, I think it's different when it's kind of existing relationship versus kind of brand new cold. They don't know you from Adam. I think we have to manage our expectations that, you know, the route to getting that opportunity you know, getting a seat at the table, like pitching for an opportunity, we need to be mindful of that route. If it's from someone that has vouched for you, you're already in a period of trust and track record. You have a platform to sell from. If it's cold or someone in one of your um, 
BD session days, you know, it's just got someone on or chase down the lead. If you if you're slow, if you look, if you're late to the party and they're already kicking on with the process, I think we all have to manage our expectations and set expectations to the client. We'll take this on. We're going to prove ourselves. We want to build rapport. We want to build relation. We want to show you what we're good at and what we're going to do. When we do this, and again, it's just kind of setting expectations early. When we do this, we want to come in and we want to talk to you about a really meaningful partner solution that you've already kind of referenced there as well. Um, look, I think it's different for leadership. Thankfully, in general, leadership roles, there is a healthy expectation that they are exclusive and that they are retained. And that's the oldest, actually, recruitment like executive recruitment is probably one of the oldest sexual recruitment um, since, since it started, you know? So I think, you know, for lots of different reasons, mixed messaging, candidate management, you know, the profile of the organization, you know, there's lots of obviously good reasons why, um, um, and even sometimes the user case for sensitive reasons for the role, for the search, confidentiality. There's lots of other use cases why you would retain somebody to take on a leadership search. But I think they're all applicable, Right to order the jobs that particularly that your firm would work on really high level individual contributor stuff, really impactful, impactful roles, whether it's on product engineering, you know, they, these are, these are really important roles for these organizations. And I think, I think they want consistency with messaging. I think they want single points of contact. I think they want, they care about candidate experience. I think they want to hold you accountable contingency. Like you can say yes to stuff, but you know, they can't really F you out of it if you haven't delivered really. Whereas if they've paid you a bit of money, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a bind, there's a, you know, there's an expectation there and they can crack the whip and that's really healthy. So I think as much as we can, we need to educate the people that have influence. The problem I do have sometimes with maybe more um, people trying to pitch retain solutions, I think they're just pitching it at the wrong buyer. And if you're trying to pitch it at someone that's talent acquisition, you know, heads of talent, you know, senior people is different. But if you're trying to pitch it to someone, talent acquisition, it's probably already a little bit of a conflict of interest anyway. You know, your success is their, you know, failings, you know, but, you know, vice versa. So I think we just really need to be smart on who we're pitching and when we pitch. As much as possible is getting discovery sessions, getting needs analysis sessions so we can really unearth the requirement and then book another meeting to present two or three search solutions and making it really incentivizing why they should go with a retained model. And sometimes it's even changing the word. Retained can have a kind of a negative connotation. The kind of commitment fee, the pricing structure we want, we do require a commencement fee up front. This is what this means. We work together, you know what I mean? So sometimes it's just bringing them through like they would do any kind of management consulting type of engagement or any kind of vendor management engagement. But um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it hasn't been easy in an Irish market. I do hear you, but I think we're all part of uh, the education um, and I think when you spell it out and explain the benefits and really and, and are willing to put your money where your mouth is in relation to commitment and accountability and share that with them and communicate with them I think um, the conversion from pitch to win would improve I think um, yeah <laughs> and I, I, like imagine a world right Neil where there was no contingent so every company who used recruitment services uh, in Ireland or anywhere, you know, either hired contractors or hired perm in a retained way, right? And if that was the only model that were used, then imagine how much better recruitment agencies would have to be around delivery. 
because Great of points. the expectations. How much higher the quality of the service would be, how much more, you think about it, you got a retained role uh, with a client and you're the account manager. You have that anxiety to fill it. You're like, oh, I, I absolutely have to rinse this, make sure I get, I need that shortlist, I need this person. And you, you work so much harder, not that you're not willing to work hard, but it's just a natural obligation that you feel towards that customer to make sure you're doing it and doing it well. Whereas, like you say, if you've got loaded contingent, there's five other agencies working on it, you get to it late, eh, it's priority two, maybe P3. So it's... if, if and, like, and it encourages the spray and pray model. It encourages, um, you know, skipping steps in, in, in the quality of the screening. It, you, you're absolutely right. It drives the wrong behavior. And ultimately, that's not the best for the client. But I think we, we do need to appreciate that with certain organizations where they have global vendor agreements and they have big PSLs and they, you know, they are, you know, that might be a bit of a clunky organization. Like, uh, you know, I don't think it's one product that fits all in relation to this, you know, and I think we're, we're you know, perhaps too many firms might have promised the moon and stars you know, without really understanding the different mechanisms and, and, and understanding the why this solution is, is, is fit for purpose and why this one isn't, you know, so, so I'm not, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't be as strong in your view that there shouldn't be any kind of contingency because I think there is a bit of a uh, a place for it with with with, with certain, certain 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 roles. Like to to be honest, with certain businesses and certain you know the way departments are run and who actually calls the shots and you know I think we 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 just have to be mindful of that. You know, I think I think um, I think you know brand new relationships where there's PSLs and there's already an existing you know operating model. I think how we can start sowing seeds of another way and our route to getting there, I think we sometimes have to be willing to kiss a few frogs to have an opportunity to elevate our position of negotiation. And that's where I wouldn't be as kind of, you know, um, black or white, um, particularly if we're trying to innovate and get in with new different types of firms and boost our logos in different sectors. Like when we don't have as many you know, moments of truth with trust and track record with types of firms. I think it's important that we're willing to be a little flexible, but know that, you know, internally, this is why we're going for this and, and, and you know, never forgetting that, I think. But that can be just a, a constant uh, <laughs> training and learning development, internal thing and external, I suppose. No, I, I look, I mean, I'm, I, you know, when, when I think about you know the perfect world. Obviously, it's 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 putting everything in black and white. It's not. It's it's nuanced. Yeah. It's complex. But I mean, maybe we'll wrap up on this last one. I'm thinking sure. about thinking about a perfect world, or maybe thinking about the future. You know, uh, what are you seeing as um, the most exciting things happening over the next kind of six to twelve months in the recruitment sector? Well, look, I mean, I know it's a populist view, but we can't get away from artificial intelligence, you know, and, and nor should we, you know, and I think, um, um, uh, yeah, I, I love, look, I love, um, I'm just very, I'm genuinely just very curious on, on, on the, you know, the current and future skill gaps maybe of the modern day recruitment business, right? And I think ultimately, you know, I touched on it earlier, ultimately, we're going to be very technology led and people led, right? But ultimately what we're all trying to do is still bring it back to those meaningful relationships, you know? And I still think companies 
when you're chatting about strategy and you're chatting about people, you know, like there's so many moving parts when we're talking about psychology and the, the art of building high performing teams. I think as much as possible, we want teams of people who are just, you know, always having higher cognitive, engaging, influential conversations, negotiating. And that's what I believe uh, the future of our industry is and how that's going to impact hiring. So everything else, you know, whether it's, you know, helping with content, whether it's um, populating leads, whether it's scheduling, whether it's, you know, e-learning, whether it's different dashboards, kind of just kind of a lot more automation, a lot more um, artificial intelligence to help us with interventions, to help us with learn, to help us with, um, you know, keeping candidate banks and keep nurturing those kind of relationships with some more kind of automated touch, you know, just how, how we how we do that as recruitment owners of businesses, like how we embrace technology to solve that excites me. One thing mistake I've made though, well, I've made money, but one that probably is, <laughs> is, is, is one that's raw. I probably bought in a bit too much tech, right? You know what I mean? So it's a bit of tech fatigue with all these different tools and these changes that we're, we're happening in relation to our process. And I probably, um, it got lost a little bit or we weren't getting maximum adoption or, or utilization for the ones we invested in. So I would just be, learn from my mistake, Mike, please don't do this, you know, just kind of give yourself a real kind of roadmap for any kind of technology changes and just kind of understand that, you know, we want adoption, but then we want champions. We want flag waivers to drive the technology adoption and show it in a different light. And I don't think that should only be top down, it has to be bottom up and left to right. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, a really exciting time um, to, 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 to be in a technology recruitment scaling business, you know, what about you? Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I I think about the next kind of 12 months and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just reminded about how much everything has kind of changed over the last few years. And it's kind of trying to just understand um, uh, what is actually real in terms of a trend. Uh, you know, for example, when you talk about AI, okay, well, what are the key skill sets that uh, companies are going to need to hire for and how do we start building those networks now so that we're well positioned to take advantage of that demand for those skill sets over the next few years that's an obvious thing that we should be doing as a technology specialist recruitment agency um but also it's trying to keep uh, you know a culture that or a company where you can adopt and change as you need to like we've had to really um overhaul how we do our business development this year based on how quickly the market kind of uh, shifted um and I'm, I'm quite proud, actually, of how we've been able to do that and get results and everyone kind of buying into that and trying to maintain that uh, flexibility and, um, you know, within the organization. And, you know, we're 13 people, so we're not huge. It's, it's probably easier to do it at a size. Um, but, you know, for, for me, I, it's, it, it's, it's so hard to predict in a couple of years' time where we're going to be. Um, I think that... Uh, there, like you say, there's a lot of new technologies, not only for the recruitment market, but, 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 but wider. So it's got to be an opportunity for a company like, like Jampool and a company like Hatfield Green. It's got to be um, a, a sense of, right, how do we just make sure we position ourselves to take advantage of that and make sure we're delivering value in our market um, mm -hmm. uh, at the right time? So that's an exciting prospect. So I'm excited mm -hmm. about the future. Uh, it's it, it's it's kind of like, 
it's daunting because of everything that's going on all the time, but I'm excited about the opportunity, really. No, definitely. Brilliant, Mike. Well, look, yeah, lovely, lovely way to end there, my man. So, um, pleasure. Always yeah. chatting to you, my man. And thanks a million for your time. And uh, yeah, see, see you soon. out there in the trenches. <laughs>